Thank you for downloading Sunday, April 14th sermon from Paragon Church. Questions Jesus asked. Will you lay down your life for me? For more information about Paragon Church, visit paragonchurch.com. Today, we continue to dive into our engage that we started at the very beginning of 2019. We started talking about engage, and we talked about engaging with God, and today we're going to be continuing our sub-series of engaging with God as we look at questions that Jesus asked. We're going to be looking at questions that Jesus asked, and we started five weeks ago now, and in that first week, we, we asked the question, or we looked at the question that Jesus asked us, who is our neighbor, and who are we being a neighbor to? Who are the people that we're reaching out to? Who are the people that we are going to that, that may not be like us, that may just be down and out and beaten up and dirty? Who are the ones that we're reaching out to? Now, we may not be able to reach out to every single one of them, but we said this. You know, we should do for one what we hope or what we wish we could do for everyone. So who's the one that we're reaching out to? Who's that person that, you, that you're inviting to Jesus? Even inviting next week to Easter. Who's the one? Then we looked in the second week. We looked at how many loaves do you have? That was a question that he asked, and they, they had taken the boys five loaves and two fish. Even though it was small, even though it was minuscule for 5,000 people, Jesus was able to multiply that for his glory and his honor. What things do you have that you're willing to give to Jesus that he can multiply for his glory and his honor? Then the third week, we said that stinger question. It was, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? How come you say that I'm in charge of you, yet you won't listen to anything I ask you to do? And he's asking us in so many different things, and we have so many different excuses, but really none of them are good enough. We can't call him Lord and then try and be in charge. That led us to last week, and we talked about worry. And all the worries that we have, and he says, why do you worry? It's not going to add a single hour to the end of your life. Why do you worry about the things that, that you are going to eat? And why do you worry about the things that you're going to clothe yourself with? And as he talked about that clothing, it was your identity. Where do you find your identity? Is it in your stuff? All the temporary things of this world from, from our cars and our houses to our bank accounts to our jobs to our, our standing in school to even our family members? Or are you going to seek first him? And let everything else fall into place. And that was a question, I think, that, that really kind of set in with me. You know, how did you do this week on seeking first Christ and letting everything else fall into place? Now, we're at week five, the week before Easter. And the question today that we're going to dive into is one that I, I struggle with, and I think there's a good possibility that you struggle with it, too. And it's a question that's found in John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be kind of focusing on John chapter 13. But we're going to look at this because today's discussion, today's question is really found in all four Gospels. And it's actually found at the Last Supper. And the Last Supper is something we're going to be celebrating this Friday. I would love for you to join us as we, uh, we look and we celebrate the broken body and the blood poured out. And it's a weird thing to say, celebrate that. But we have to celebrate it because that's how we have our freedom is through that. So as you're going to John chapter 13, what I want to do is I want to look at the question, but we're going to take a couple of steps back and, and get a wider view at why this question's asked. And the first step back we're going to take is that look at the Last Supper, this, this time in the upper room. And the time in the upper room, uh, there's lots of things happening. 
First, we see Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And in that, that is just a crazy story in itself. We can go off on that for a long time. Just the fact that the, the, the creator of the universe would get down on his hands and knees and wash the feet of the disciples. It, it goes from there, and they're eating that all-important meal, the Passover supper, which would be Jesus' last. And during that meal, Jesus says in verse 21 of John chapter 13, says these words, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And guess what? Nobody at the table goes, it's going to be me. There's not a single person that does it. All of them start looking around going, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And Peter, as we're going to take a look at his life, because the question we're looking at is asked mainly to him, but also to us. Peter tells John, he says, John, since you're sitting there by Jesus and you're the one that he loves, why don't you find out who it is? Do me a favor and find out who it is. So John leans over. He's like, well, I know it's not me, so who is it? And as we know today, that it was Judas. Jesus says, it's the one that I'm going to dip the bread in the, in the, in the wine and I'm going to give to. He's the one. It says Satan entered Judas's body, which is a whole other thing we get into as well. But Satan enters Judas's body, and Jesus never actually calls him out. All he says is, what you're going to do, do it quickly. Judas gets up. He leaves. Nobody knows why he left. Jesus didn't make a scene of it ahead of time because he knew that that would probably ruin the plans. So then Jesus, as he leaves, he says, guys, I'm just going to let you know something. It's going to get rough here pretty soon. And as it gets rough, people are going to know you're my disciples by one thing. That one thing is, it's if you love one another. It's if you love one another. So Jesus goes into this small teaching to begin with, and Peter is sitting there, and he's listening to it. And at the same time he's doing that, Jesus also said right before that, by the way, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm going to be gone here soon. And then he goes into the, the talking about make sure you're loving one another, and Peter got stuck on the words, I'm going to leave. And he looks at Jesus and says, wait, 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 wait wait a second. What do you mean you're going to leave? And as a matter of fact, if you go to verse 36 of John chapter 13, we're going to read it here. And this is where we'll see our question. It says, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And this is the statement that we're really going to look at today. This is the statement we're really going to focus on today. Lord, I will lay down my life for you even right now. And I believe that Peter is as sincere as he possibly can be. I I believe that, that Peter really, really would do whatever he possibly could to follow Jesus. He doesn't want to be the guy that Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. He says, I am the exact opposite of that. I'm willing to die for you. And then Jesus asks the question that we're going to focus on as well today. And that question is found here in verse 38. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? You may say you're going to do it. You may have every intention that you're going to do it. But will you actually do it? And the reason why, Jesus says, you say you're going to do it, but I know that just in a few hours, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, he says. I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. And I think Jesus is asking that question to both Peter and to us. Because 
Everything inside of Peter says, I can do it. I can do it. And a lot of times in our own lives, we say, I can do it. I can seek first the kingdom of heaven. I can love my neighbor. I can, can have these loaves, and I can give them to Jesus. The problem is, is we get caught up in our eyes. And we get caught up in our me's. We think somehow in our willpower, we're going to be able to do it. And that is the reason why Jesus asked the question, can you really do it on your own, Peter? We're going to see that you can't and that we can't either. And that's the reason why he asks this question. See, we will say we're going to give all to Jesus. We'll even sing that we're going to give all to Jesus. And we're really going to believe it. I remember when I was a kid, the closing song most of the time at the church had something to do with following Jesus. But one of my favorite ones was, I surrender all. And if you grew up in the church, you probably know that one. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In my, his presence, I will daily live. Those are great words. And I wish I could live them out. But we can't, at least not on our own. Because we get in the way. And that's what I think uh, Peter is trying to have the point made to by Jesus. We have a tendency to get in the way because we can really try hard. But it doesn't matter how hard we try. What matters is, is Jesus. And that's why Jesus asked the question to Peter at this point. So I believe there's a turning point that needs to take place in Peter's life, and this question is it. This question is it, and I hope even today that this question is it for us as well. And to understand this is a turning point, like I said, we had to take a step back and look at the scene of, of the upper room and the scene of this Last Supper. Now I think we need to take a bigger step back, and we need to look at the life of Peter and why there needs to be this turning point. So we're going to dive into Peter's story. And as we look at Peter's story, I want you to understand this. Peter is real. His story is real. Peter's a follower of Jesus, but we also need to understand he isn't perfect by any stretch. He has good qualities. He has bad qualities. He, he has this tendency to, to love hard and, and follow well. He's spontaneous. He's irrational. He's erratic. He's got a foot-shaped mouth. And the reality is, is Peter is me. Peter is me. And you know what Peter also is? He's you. He's us. We get these passionate desires to do these passionate things, and then reality kicks in. And, and I see this in him, and I see it in me. And it, his story involves calling, and it involves risk, and it involves mistakes, and it involves you know, the, the denial, and most of all, it involves Jesus, and it involves the grace of Jesus, and it, it changes him. See, Peter's story and our story isn't so much about Peter, and it isn't so much about me, and it isn't so much about you. It's about Jesus. This life is about Jesus, so let's go to the beginning where Jesus first meets Simon in John chapter 1. See, Simon gets told by Andrew that they found the Messiah. And Jesus comes and he meets Simon and he immediately renames him Peter. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever met somebody and went right up to them and said, Hey, nice to meet you, Simon. I'm going to call you Peter or whatever you want to do that. But that's what my grandfather would do. My grandfather would not call anybody who was a part of the family by a normal name. 
The day I was born, I was moose. That was it. I was never mad to him. I was always moose. The day that Cameron was born, he was mini moose. It, it was the reality. Everybody in our family had one. Even when I started dating Christy and she became a part of the family in that way, she got a nickname, WB, and it stood for something I'm not going to say because you guys will call her that and they should be really mad at me. So we're just going to leave it alone at that. But everybody got a name. It was like you were part of the family if you had a name. And I'm not sure exactly why Jesus did it to, to Simon to change his name to Peter other than the fact he was identifying him as something different, a rock. Petros, Petra. And, and we see that rock in the story. And uh, the, the great thing is that this relationship began to build. If you skip ahead, you jump over to Luke chapter 5, you'll see Simon Peter is called again. Jesus wants to go and he wants to teach. And he's got a crowd around, so he gets on Peter's boat. They push out a little ways. Jesus teaches from there. And as he's teaching from there, he turns to Peter and he says, hey, you know what? Let's go fishing. Well, the thing is, is Peter had just been fishing all night long. They hadn't caught anything. They were tired. They were worn out. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, let's push out to deeper waters, and we'll go fishing. Well, I don't know anything about fishing. I'm not a fisherman at all, but from what I understand, going out to deeper waters to fish in the middle of the day is not a wise place to fish at. But Jesus says, let's do it. Peter says, okay, I will. And guess what happens? They have the biggest hugest amount of fish into this net that they've ever had. So much so they had to call over other boats to pull it in where the boats began to sink. And at that moment, Peter realized something about Jesus. That he was greater than just some rabbi. That he was greater than just some teacher. He realized why this huge haul of fish came in. And he dropped to his knees in front of Jesus and he said, Lord, you should leave. I am too much of a sinner to be in your presence. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. Uh, You're holy. I am not. Please go. And Jesus' response was, you know what? You caught a lot of fish today, but now I'm going to make you a fisher of people. You're going to catch people. You're going to bring people into my kingdom. You're going to be the person that I'm going to use. See, at that moment, Jesus began to radically change Peter's story. At that moment, all the guys that were in the boats, they began to see it. Because you know what happens when they get back to the shore with their huge catch of fish? They leave their nets and they leave their no- boats behind and they follow Jesus. They began to change. So that was a huge step in the life of Peter as we begin to see it. And then you can continue to look at his life and you can see all the different things. And I'm only going to touch on a few things, but let me tell you, I have a thing back there on the, on the back table as well as on the welcome table for you guys as a reading plan this week. Read through the life of Peter and see yourself in it. Because I can't highlight everything that he did, but there's a couple of things he did that were pretty impressive, like walking on water. That's pretty amazing. I've tried and I've failed. I'm not sure about you. Maybe you have as well, but that's an impressive step. He got to be at the transfiguration of Jesus. He got to experience that. That'd be pretty awesome. That'd be a pretty awesome place to be. You know what he also got to see? He got to see his mother-in-law healed by Jesus. He got to see 5,000 people, men, fed by Jesus with five loaves and two fish. He actually got to participate in that one. He got to see a, a prostitute come to know Jesus and give up her life and follow after him. She, he got to see tax collectors do the same thing. It's all of these things. He got to be a part of all of the stuff in his life, but it all because he began this step in following. But then, near the end of Jesus' ministry, about three years later, he gets to be 
and experience probably one of the biggest moments of his life. The biggest moments of his life. See, Jesus took his men outside of Israel, outside of the area, and, and went off to, to, to basically to Gentile territory so he could be away from all the crowds. And in this, he asked a question, a question, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about next week. That question that we're going to talk about next week is this, who do people say that I am? And, and how do they respond? Well, they respond with things like, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist, and some people say that, that you are a great prophet, or Elijah, or, or Jeremiah. And, you know, that, that's just what people started hearing. That was word on the street. That was the only thing that they could possibly compare him to, because he was uncomparable. So they started grasping at things. He says, well, it's great what everybody else thinks. But I've got a more important question for you. And it's an important question for each and every single one of us. It's the important question we're going to ask next week. I'm not as concerned about what everybody else thinks about me. I'm concerned about what you think about me. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Am I just a good religious teacher? Am I just a prophet? Am I just a historical figure? Or am I the Lord and Savior of your life? Who do you say that I am? And everybody else is sitting there going, oh. And all of a sudden, Peter clicked. From a revelation from God, he clicked. And you know how Peter answers? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That wasn't his own doing. That wasn't his own thinking. That was God revealing to him. Because as a matter of fact, Jesus says, you are blessed, Simon, because my Father has revealed this to you. You didn't figure it out on your own, and nobody told you. A Jewish man would never decide that somebody was so divine that they'd be the Messiah that was written about. It had to be revealed to him. And because of that revelation, you look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and you see these words. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He looks at Peter and he says that to him. He says, Peter, I'm the cornerstone. Peter, I'm the foundation. Remember when I taught to you guys all that stuff about digging down in the sand, the, the guy that built his house on the sand versus the guy who built his house on the rock? I am the rock. And guess what? You are going to be the first member. We don't do membership so much here, so I'm going to say we're going to be the first owner. You're the first owner in this. You're the first stone that's going to be next to the cornerstone. You think that made Peter's day? You better believe it. He was on top of the world. He was so very excited. He's basically saying, you know what? I got it right. I said the right answer. God revealed it to me, and my mouth said what it was revealed, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow, huge. He's like, oh. I can just see him on the front of the boat with his arms open wide going, I'm the king of the world, holding rows. Maybe that's a different story, but it's probably similar, okay? The, the, the thing is, is that he is just so excited about that. And, and the reality is, is it all comes crashing down just a little bit later because it doesn't last. It doesn't last because as he says, you are the Messiah, you are the son of the living God, Jesus then says, by the way, guys, I'm headed to Jerusalem. And when I go there, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. And Peter, because he had a big head and was full of himself at that moment, pulled Jesus aside to correct Jesus. We laugh now because it's funny, but we've done it to Jesus, haven't we? Jesus, you don't understand. That's not the way this is going to happen. 
what's going to happen is, is you're going to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to say, I am the king, and you're going to rule, and I'm going to be your first in command, because you just said that. It's all going to be good, and we're going to build this church thing, and all is going to be good. What does Jesus respond to him? Do you guys remember what he says? Get behind me who? Satan. Get behind me, adversary. You went from being the one that, that God's revelation was dumped on to Satan. That's a pretty big swing. That's pretty crushing. You'd think that he would learn a lesson to hold his tongue. You'd think that he would not be quite so impulsive, not so irrational, not so erratic, but because he's like me, or I'm like him, I guess would be the better way to put it. We know that's not the case. And that is what leads us to our question for the day. That's what leads us to this Last Supper. And I want to read from you from Matthew chapter 26. I want to read from you from Mark 14, from Luke 22, and John 13. Because these each have this testimony. But I want you to see Peter's ego in the middle of it all. I want you to see his pride that is welling up inside of him. And here's what it says in Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, tonight all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter told him, Jesus, you're wrong. Even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Mark 14, verse 29. Peter told him, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting. Jesus, you obviously don't understand. You don't know me. Who knows us better than anybody else? Jesus, you don't know me, he says. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Luke 22, 33 and 34, Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied me three times that you even know me. John 13, 36 through 38, we've already read it. I'll read it for you again. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. I'm pretty sure that Peter was surprised by the response each time. Jesus, you don't know. You don't know me. You don't understand. I am all in with you. Everything I said, I'm going to do it. Except for that denial thing. I'm not going to do that. I am with you to the very end. He's shaking his head. Jesus, I got this. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm not going to do it. And the crazy thing is, is that, that it doesn't immediately change the situation. He's thinking that in his head, and Jesus begins to teach. And if you're going with us to our, our John class, it's going deeper in, in the, the 9 o'clock hour. If you're not, I would encourage you to come as we especially get into this. We did 12 and 13 today. We're going to start into this thing called the final discourse starting after Easter. But that final discourse is Jesus' teaching. 
And he begins teaching in John 14, and I'm sure you probably know, or maybe you know, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then he goes from that into John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That would have been a great thing for Peter to understand at that moment. But Peter, probably still thinking about what Jesus had said earlier, wasn't quite listening to what he was saying. And later in John 15, he says, remain in me, remain in my love, because the world is going to hate you. You're going to need each other. You're going to need me. They hated me first. They're going to hate you. And then Jesus starts talking about this counselor that's going to come, and he's going to give us this power, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that we know today. But, you know, to them, it was like, what are you talking about exactly? We're trying to get all of this in. And then John 17, he begins to pray for himself, Jesus does. And then he prays for his disciples, and then he even prays for all of us. But then John 18 happens. John 18 happens and Judah shows up with soldiers. Officials from the chief priests, the Pharisees, and this is where it all begins to unravel for our boy Pete. Okay, he's sitting there and he's thinking, I got this. I told you I'm not going to fall away. And and what happens next? You know that Judas gives a kiss on the cheek to Jesus to betray him. They go to arrest him. Peter pulls out a sword, and what's he do? He hacks a dude's ear off. Here's the crazy thing about that story, right? He's a fisherman. He's not a sword wielder. He wasn't aiming for the ear. He's aiming for the head. He just happened to clank it, and it just slips, and oh, well, good enough for now. Jesus like, hey, put the sword away, man. This is Jesus telling Peter God's plan has to be done. Picks up the ear off the ground, puts it back on. The dude's like, did he just, what? I can hear, what? Hang on a second. We shouldn't arrest this guy. He just put my ear back on, everybody. But no, they kind of went and did their plan anyway. And and Peter's sitting there, and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do next. And we know that this break takes place. And they arrest him, and everybody begins to go. And Peter kept saying, you know what? I can do it. I can do it. But the thing is, I believe he overestimated his strength. And you know why I think that he overestimated his strength? Because I overestimate my strength. I overestimate every day. See, I want to put Luke 9.23 into practice where it says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I want to do that. And when I'm laying in bed, that sounds like a great idea. But by the time I'm heading out the front door, I've probably already failed at it because I've overestimated my strength thinking that somehow I can do this, somehow I have got this. So Jesus is arrested, everybody goes, Peter's the only one that resists, he doesn't take off, instead he begins to follow the mob to the the courtyard of the high priest. There he's standing next to the fire and he's warming and he's waiting for Jesus to get tried. And as Jesus is in there, this little servant girl, that's a very important part of the story, this little servant girl goes, hey, You're one of his followers, aren't you? And his response is, nope, wrong guy, not me, not on this one. And he kind of goes, I better get away from this fire. Walks over here, and as he walks over there, another girl says, I recognize you. You're the man that's been with Jesus. And his response was, don't know the man. Don't know the man. Couldn't even call him by his name. Don't know the man. And then just a little while later, a little while later, a guy says, man, you got like a 
crazy Galilean accent going on there. You are one of his followers. And he says, calls down curses from heaven. I swear to you on my life, I don't have a clue who that guy is. Whatever a rooster does, I don't know. And all of a sudden he goes, whoa, hang on a second. What just happened? He looks over, and probably one of the most powerful scenes to me in the movie The Passion of the Christ is Jesus beaten, swollen, one eye closed, looks over and stares at Peter. And they make eye contact. And what is Peter's response? He ran and cried. Not just cried. He wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. I failed. All of this I failed. And he ran away. And as he ran away and he was crying, there's a cool part about this. He's by himself. How do we know all the stuff that happens in the Bible, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John? It's because Peter was willing to share his story. This rough and tumble fisherman, sword-wielding fisherman, rough hands, gruff dude, weeping bitterly. Any men in here really big on telling everybody that you wept bitterly this weekend? Not going to happen. That's, that's not where we're at. That's, that's not what we do. And I'm sure times haven't changed that much. That men don't want to let that know. But they, they, he wanted to say, this is who I am. And that's how I believe the Bible. When people go, well, is the Bible really real? This, this tells us that. The Bible is really real. Because you don't get into the biography of somebody and do all the things they did wrong. You, you talk about all the things they did right. But yet Peter is right here, face down, crying. And he disappears. On one hand, we have a courageous enough guy who's willing to follow Jesus right into the high priest's courtyard. But on the other hand, his courage failed him when he was confronted with this idea of being arrested or even put to death. Even though, in one of the translations, or one of the Gospels I read to you, he said, I'm willing to be arrested or to die. Then, we take the next step. On one hand, he sincerely promises devotion, even to death. And then, when confronted with a servant girl, or by a servant girl, he denies it to her. Can I tell you why that's important? Because women were second-class citizens. Kids were second-class citizens. Servants were second-class citizens. This girl was literally the lowest of the low on the totem pole. He should have been able to stand up to that, right? But he couldn't. And at that moment, everything about Peter died. Everything about Peter died. All that pride, all the things that he, all the ego, everything inside of him died, and he became fully reliant on Jesus. That's why I said that question was a turning point in his life. He realized he was fully dependent on that Lord and Savior that he had denied. He couldn't do it on his own. His self-reliance was gone, and that's why as we'll even talk about next week, you skip ahead and Peter runs to the tomb when he finds out that, P that Jesus had raised from the dead. He had to see. He, he had to know. Why? Well, I think partly is because he wanted to be renewed. He wanted to ask for forgiveness. He, he wanted to see Jesus again. He thought it was all done. He thought he had messed up for the last time. And when the women who had visited the tomb came and said, Jesus is going to meet you in Galilee, guess what he did? He got on his 
tail end, and he went. He got to Galilee, and when he got to Galilee, guess what happened? Jesus wasn't there. And he waited, and he waited, and as he waited, I think thoughts started to pour into his mind, and as those thoughts started to pour into his mind, he started saying, you know what, Jesus isn't coming. He's not going to forgive me. What I've done is too big, too hurtful, too painful. I denied him when I told him I would stand up for him. There's no forgiveness in that. You know what he does? He says, I'm going to go fish. I'm going to go fish. And it wasn't because he wanted to go fish because that's relaxing or something like that. What he's going to do is he's going to go back to the things that he knew. He's going to go back to the things that he could hold on to, that he could find comfort in, that that was his old life. How many people do we know that failed Jesus? Every single one of them, by the way, just in case you're wondering the answer to that. But how many, one of, how many of them go and they say, you know what, I'm going to go back to my old way of life because that's where I find comfort. So he goes and he fishes. And guess how many fish he catches? Zero. And he's out there and he's catching nothing. And while he's out there with the guys, he's fishing. He's like, I, I'm just a failure. I'm a failure being a disciple. I'm a failure being a fisherman. I have no identity. I'm lost. I'm beat up. I, I don't know what else to do. And all of a sudden, a voice calls out from the shore. And that voice calls out from the shore and says, Friends, have you caught any fish? Have you caught any fish? If not, hey, guys, just throw your net to the other side. And all of a sudden, you can see the wheels start turning for Peter. It's like, you know, there's another time I didn't catch any fish. It was about three years ago. And in that, this guy said, throw your net to the other side. And I brought him this massive haul. So instead of asking any questions, he just throws his net to the other side. And John, for whatever reason, is very specific. It says he caught 153 fish. Not sure why that is, but I do know men, when they go fishing, and they have these big tales about all their fish, it was a pretty important day, so they're like, and by the way, we caught 153 fish. I don't know if that's the reason why and all of that, but there had to be a little something on why that number is so specific in there. But he catches the fish, and at that point in time, John figures out it's the Lord. And what's Peter's response? You guys know what he does? He jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore. And he swims, well, he didn't walk on water that time. Apparently, that wasn't an option. So he swims to shore, and he swims to shore, and he gets to Jesus, and you know what he says? Nothing. Nothing. You know why? Because the same way it is when we got in trouble when we were kids, or maybe if you are a kid, you've been in trouble with this, and mom says, go sit in your room until dad gets home. And you've sat, and you've thought, and you've thought, and you've thought, and you've got all the excuses in your mind, and when dad finally walks in the door, you go, quiet. And dad just sits down in a chair across from you. Can we've had these conversations, right? Dad sits down in the conversation right across from you, and he just looks at you. He's like, how about some breakfast? And they start eating some breakfast. And all the disciples are eating breakfast, and that breakfast is dead quiet. You just hear the <coughs> chewy, crunchy fish that have been on the <coughs> sitting around the fire. Interesting how Jesus' uh, first denial, or sorry, Peter's first denial of Jesus is around a fire. Jesus turns to him, says, Peter, I got a question for you. I'm going I'm to break this silence. As a matter of fact, it's in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19. It says, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, that's an interesting question. 
because when you stop and you think about it, there's a couple of things you can look at there. One, what are these? Is he playing into the ego saying, do you love me than all the other disciples that are sitting around here eating fish with us? Do you, do you love me more than these? Or is he pointing at the boats and the nets and all the things he went back to in his old life? He says, do you love me more than these? Interesting thought. And of course, Simon says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him, verse 16. The second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Verse 17, he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. See, lots of people ask why three times. That seems to be a question that even when I was going through and looking at all this stuff, people kept saying, well, why three times? Why three times? Some said, well, three times of saying, yes, I love you, undid the three times of denial. Some people said, three times in the Hebrew, if you say something three times in a row, it binds a contract together. But as I looked, I said, I don't think we need to focus on why he asked him three times. I think we need to focus on what he asked him. Because he didn't say, Simon, why did you bail on me? Why did you fail me? Why did you say you would go and you would stand up for me and you didn't? He never asked that. He just said these simple words. Do you love me? Do you love me? What is your relationship with me like? And he said, yes, God, I love you. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Instead of dwelling on the past, he said these words. The end of verse 19, he says, after saying this, he told him, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It wasn't, you got to clean yourself up and you got to do this. What is your relationship with me? Follow me. And guess what Peter did? He followed him. And in that reading that I have back there on the, on the back area over there by the tithe and offering box, as well as out on the welcome table, you can walk through the book of Acts. You can go in the book of Galatians. And you can see the relationship that, that Jesus had and used Peter, a failure, a failure more than once for his glory and his honor. To see the church built up because he was willing. See, a lot of times we look and say, man, Peter did some amazing things. Which is pretty true. Except it was Jesus doing amazing things through Peter that we have to see. And I think that there are people in this room, even right now, that might say, you know what? You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. And you're right, I don't, but Jesus does, and he's still asking that same question. Do you love me? Because I loved you enough to go to the cross, to change you from Peter the denier to Peter the forgiven. I loved you enough to pour out my blood, to, to have my body broken, and to defeat death. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week. Forget that. We celebrate that every week. We celebrate that every morning. Easter is just a good day that we all get together and get to dress. Well, you guys are dressed up. Right? But the, <laughs> it's just a good day for that. The reality is every day we get to be reminded that Jesus is the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of my story. And that he gets all the glory and that he gets all the honor. 
when I looked at this question the first time, will you lay your life down for me? Will you actually do it? I kind of looked at that in a way going, oh, this would be a good one to get ready for Easter. People better lay their lives down and pass out these cards, dang it. You know, I could, I could get real oh, forceful on it all. And I went, you know what? That's not what the story's about. That's not what that question's about. What that question's about is, will you stop trying to do it on your own? And will you follow me? Will you rely on my power, the power of that comforter, the power of the Holy Spirit to get you through? Because without it, we're not going to make it. Can I challenge you today that even as you write out those postcards, even as you invite people, even as you talk to people, and we got plenty of these invite cards, and they're not going to be any good next week, so take them all, please. we got plenty of them. Pass them out and just pray that God can use it for His glory and His honor. And if they say, you know what, I don't really want to come to church, don't invite them to church. Invite them to Jesus. Introduce them to who he is. Because I think that's what Peter was doing. He had the opportunity to say, you know, you don't understand how bad I really was. But when Jesus came and he forgave me, now I'm this stone that he is using to build his church. Guess what? We're also a part of that membership. We're also part of that ownership. We're also part of that church. Can I challenge you to let Jesus use you and stop making your excuses and say, well, I just can't because Peter had every excuse, but he let Jesus use him for his glory and his honor. Let's do the same today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do and even the way you speak through the life of Peter. Even though he failed, even though he let you down, even though he flat out denied you to people who weren't even what we would call of worth. You still loved him. You still forgave him. And you still challenged him to live for you. I pray that today, whatever excuse we might have, whatever history we might have in our past, thinking that God can forgive this, but he won't forgive that. God, erase that thinking. Erase that mentality that you are ready to start afresh and anew every day, that your mercies are new every day, and today is one of those every days. That if today's a day that we're hurting, if today's a day we're making excuses, if today's a day we just happen to wander into this building not wanting to be here, but ready to do or listen to whatever you have to say, God, I pray that you spoke to them this morning through song, through your word, through the follower that you call Peter, and even through the people around, they're also your followers. God, use this day for your glory and your honor. Use our lives for your glory and your honor. We pray all this today in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I would love to talk to you. But maybe this is an opportunity for you just to talk to God and say, God, I'm Peter. I'm irrational. I'm erratic. I have some crazy out there thoughts but you love me anyways, and you're going to use me anyways. God, use me today. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray in your seats as we sing this last song. Well.